0: This is your last call for My Wife the Dietitian. The show is just about to start.
1: Come on, let's go, hurry up. I'm trying, I can't get my shoe on.
0: Welcome to My Wife the Dietitian, a fun weekly podcast about nutrition and healthy lifestyle. I'm Rob, and together with my wife, Sandra, we invite you to join us on this informative and entertaining journey through the complex world of healthy eating.
1: Join us each week as we strive to help you with transforming your overall health and relationship with food through up-to-date, evidence-based nutrition information.
0: Today on My Wife the Dietitian, we are talking with Lizzie Briasco, registered dietitian and retired athlete. Lizzie works with other retired athletes who often face some unique struggles
2: my life ethos has kind of become be who you needed when you were younger and again i wish somebody had just said those three lines to me (laughs) when i was younger because it's so difficult like when you're an athlete and you put so much of your time your energy your resources into this one central thing your life really starts to revolve around it. And anything that doesn't help improve it or make it better gets pushed to the wayside.
0: Stay with us for this interesting and entertaining discussion. It's Rob and Sandra, and this is my wife the dietitian. Hello, Sandra. Hi, Rob. How's it going?
1: Good. I'm super excited about our interview with Lizzie Briasco, dietitian and retired athlete from Transition Nutrition. She helps athletes with life after sport and the mindset shifts from hardcore training to living a balanced life and not identifying as an athlete anymore. It is an animated and spicy conversation and she's got an awesome English accent. So it's a bit of a colorful conversation. So be forewarned if you're driving in the car with little ones or it might be one that you want to use your earbuds or headphones for.
0: Yeah, it's so fun though. We cracked up. Lizzie's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I encourage you to stick around. It's a great conversation. And it's, oh my gosh, so powerful, the information and uh, the stuff that she's talking about. So really, really good interview today. I encourage you all to stick around.
1: Yeah, it was super fun. Hi, Lizzie. Welcome. Can you tell the listeners a bit about yourself, like who you are and who you help in your practice?
2: Yeah. Hi, Sandra. Thank you for having me. So I'm a dietitian. I'm a sports dietitian. I also am an anti-diet diet dietitian. So I practice through a health at every size lens, aka haze, which basically just means that everybody of every size has the ability to pursue health, whatever that looks like to them. And it doesn't really focus on weight loss. It's more so focused on what food can do for your body. So I see a lot of athletes, retired athletes, and people just looking to improve their relationship with food and their body and improve their nutrition, again, in whatever way that looks like to them. Awesome. Love it.
1: That's so interesting. I love your uh, niche. And I just, I think you were mentioning that you used to be an athlete also. So is that how you kind of got into this area?
2: (laughs) Yes. Well, yes and no. So Hmm. when I first, when my family first moved to, well, I guess it wasn't the first time they moved, but we moved to America in 2001 and I'd always loved running and I couldn't join a club in England because I was too young because they don't stay at Athletics until you're a bit older. In America, it's very different. It's like straight out the womb, you're doing a sport. Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, like as soon as we moved to New York, I was able to join a club team, which was fun, but it wasn't serious enough for me because I was uh kind of insane as a child. So (laughs) I ran competitively starting at around age 10 and was driving around the country for different meets and stuff and ran all the way up through college and and was a, a scholarship athlete at a D1 school, Auburn University in Alabama, which four years is four more years than is necessary to live in Alabama,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: as far as I'm concerned. But uh, it was full of highs and lows. And I originally actually majored in theater because i wanted to be an actor
0: oh fun and
2: uh yeah well that what well, that didn't last long that lasted about two or three months and then i went to my guidance counselor and I was like well I really don't know what I want to do and she said okay well think about what you don't want to do and I said well I I don't want to do science so it's kind of ironic that I (laughs)
0: totally
2: picking nutrition because it's one of the most science-based degrees (laughs) that one can choose which is also ironic because people love to not listen to science or dietitians so (laughs) That's you are hilarious crazy.
1: Lizzie. Oh my god, this is awesome. <laughs> Thank you.
2: Um so yeah, I wanted to be an actor and that just wasn't in the cards for several reasons. So, so I actually decided on nutrition because in my head I was thinking, well, what do I think about the most in my free time? Because obviously that means that I really enjoy that thing and maybe I should, you know, try and make that a career. So I went back to my dorm and thought, well, you know, I can't stop thinking about food. Spoiler alert, I had an eating disorder. So <laughs> <laughs> of course, I had very intrusive, repetitive, consistent thoughts about food that I really didn't even want at the time. But I had no education around eating disorders, or like how being involved in sport, especially at a higher level, really kind of predisposes you to disordered eating and disordered eating patterns. So, um, I was like, yeah, I'm going to study nutrition because I love food and I'm going to help everybody be healthy and lose weight and learn to love salads and oatmeal. (laughs) That was was really my goal in life at the ripe old age of 18, which looking back is kind of sad because there are so many other reasons. Um, to enjoy food and also so many other ways to teach people about food, you know, outside of what I think a lot of people think of when they think of dietitians or nutritionists or just nutrition in general. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, being an athlete in college, I had my own sports dietitian and he was great. But there were a lot of signs that... That I think kind of went under the radar because they were just recognized as like, oh, yeah, like she's really into like getting lean and being fit and being strong and performing her best. And really, uh, (laughs) there were some concerning (laughs) behaviors that I really wish... Someone would have been like, you know, you don't have to do that. Or, like, oh, you know, it's really interesting that you share that perspective. Like, where did that come from? Or, like, what was your experience with food in high school? What did your previous coaches tell you about food and nutrition? How has that changed since you came to college? You know, and then even preparing to leave my sport which I kind of have a non, uh, non-traditional non path because I had hip surgery my junior year. So really, I was taken out of sport kind of out of the blue before I graduated college.
1: Oh, which, wow.
2: Yeah, which felt like a real punch in the gut at the time and like the worst possible thing <laughs> that could yeah. have happened oh. but again the hindsight is 2020 and looking back on it it was actually I think really good for me that that happened at that time so originally I wanted to be a dietitian cause I wanted to be a sports dietitian cause I wanted, <laughs> I had a very fat phobic weight stigma view which I think a lot of people when they first go into dietetics and especially a lot of athletes or former athletes and even sports dietitians have that mentality. And again, like there are reasons for it, it makes sense. Is it the most helpful? I don't think so. Mm. After like looking back on my personal experiences and now also having been a dietitian for seven years now and working with a wide range of people and populations I'm pretty firm (laughs) in that belief now yeah and honestly by the time senior year of college rolled around I didn't even want to be a dietitian and part of it is because I was so deep in my own stuff but another part of it was I just felt so much pressure like pressure from all aspects of my life, you know? Yeah. And I really just wanted to basically just uh, fuck off to the woods and not have to worry about anything. And <laughs> that's what I ended up doing. And it That's was too
0: funny. <laughs> the best
2: experience of my life. I went from being like a scholarship, D1 athlete, like Olympic hopeful to a nobody working uh, in the back of the kitchen and then moved up to wait tables and bartend in a very small town in northern Minnesota, (laughs) where nobody really gave a shit, you know. I was (laughs) like, wow, you were really good at running. Cool.
1: You were definitely uh, building character in that turn of events.
0: No doubt. Yes. No doubt. Yes.
2: Yeah. Well, I had three criteria. I wanted to do something I had never done with people I had never met in a place I had never been. And I hit all of those and uh, it was like a year off of life kind of but I mean obviously I was still living (laughs) Um, and and like making money but it was in a very different way than I was previously because I think before so much focus had been put on Like, what's the potential to be a good athlete, to be a good student, to be a good whatever you want to be in your career? Uh, And the focus was never, what's your potential to be happy, to be satisfied, to feel fulfilled uh, in life? Yeah. So that year off really broke the mindset that I had had for about a decade, which was like, what do I actually want to do with my life? And now I have the opportunity to actually explore that without the pressure of, sports and scholarship and academia and being perfect and meeting other people's expectations like instead of when other people say jump I don't ask how high I say I don't want to jump I'm going to stand firmly on the ground thank you
1: right right (laughs) that is awesome
2: don't tell me to jump if I don't want to (laughs) jump Well, on
1: your on your website, uh, I noticed like the tagline right at the the cover page, it says food is more than fuel, you are more than a body and life is more than sport. And it mm-hmm. sounds like that kind of wraps it all up into like a, a statement that is really close to your v- mission and your vision.
2: Yes, yes, it is. And, you know, I came up with that because my life ethos has kind of become be who you needed when you were younger and again I wish somebody had just said those three lines to me (laughs) when I was younger because it's so difficult like when when you're an athlete and you put so much of your time your energy your resources into this one central thing your life really starts to revolve around it and anything that doesn't help improve it or make it better gets pushed to the wayside
0: it's like your your life seems to revolve around like quantitative like getting better Mm -hmm. like getting a a personal best or like getting a Mm -hmm. a good score right instead of quality Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and yeah the the perspective and and the everything just seems to be focused on that right which is the wrong Mm -hmm. thing so
2: right yeah, well, I don't know. It's it's tricky. I hate qu- qualifying things as like right, wrong, good, bad, mm-hmm. because there's a reason for it. And a lot of athletes, myself included are taught still and were taught that you have to live that way in order to achieve what you want to achieve, in order to be taken seriously, in order to be considered a quote good or disciplined or dedicated athlete. So there's a lot of messaging that happens in sports that i'm not a huge fan of because i feel like it takes a lot of autonomy away Mm -hmm. from athletes and also (laughs) gives athletes a lot of anxiety which they may not even realize as anxiety in the moment because again like athletes don't get anxious athletes don't get depressed (laughs) (laughs) athletes Uh. bounce back they're superhuman
1: superhuman right right? Yeah. yeah yes
2: exactly And then, because of that, like, because athletes are taught, like, your body is a machine, you got to fuel it well, food is fuel. Yes, food is fuel, and it is so much more. And it's important that we remember that so that we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket. So, that, you know, so it's difficult to think of food in terms of what value does this add to my life instead of what is this going to do for my body and my sport you know and it gets Mm. even trickier in sports where there's a lot of emphasis on aesthetics so the aesthetics based sports are typically your endurance sports like running cycling triathlon diving gymnastics, dance, ballet, figure skating, and then also weight class sports like wrestling, judo. I right. would throw football into that mix because the different positions, there's a lot of pressure on athletes to either put on or take off a lot of weight depending on what their position is. Yeah. So, you know, when all of that gets wrapped up in your purpose and becomes a huge part of your identity and why you're doing what you're doing... It's really challenging like especially if things are not going the way that you want them to go to blame those things right so like if somebody's if somebody does go off to college and their performance tanks and they also just happen to put on some weight the first thing that people blame is the weight instead of well You're in a completely different environment. You're in a completely different social support system. You're in a completely different mode of training. Your sleep schedule is probably different. You're probably taking on way more stress than you even realize. And instead of addressing like the indirect factors, people like you guys said, like to focus on the more qualitative stuff. Yeah. Uh, like your weight. Before... Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, like, oh, I feel like most athletes probably need to gain some weight when they go to college because honestly, most high school athletes suck at fueling themselves appropriately. <laughs> and like a lot of athletes may not have access to the types of foods that they're actually needing to develop properly in high school you know or like between class social life transportation they're not able to get what they need throughout the day and then when they get to college maybe they have more availability and more access they're not really sure how to handle it but either way it's not necessarily a bad thing if weight goes up especially during that big transition period but a lot of people like to blame it you know like the freshman fifteen. And it's uh, just kind of more intense in the sporting world because so much emphasis.
0: Is that a thing that like, like 15 pounds, you mean the freshman 15? Is that what that means?
2: Oh, yeah. That's like a big thing in America. Oh, Wow everybody's terrified of it so it's it's really i honestly don't even know where it comes from probably silly things but it's like this concept that oh yeah you know you gotta watch your weight when you graduate high school and go to college because you're going to put on the freshman 15 it's like this belief that most freshmen in college put on 15 pounds
1: wow interesting okay well, I mean, yeah. and your body, you're growing up too. So it makes sense exactly. that you know, it's all part of it. Like that's just yeah. your you
0: maturing. Yeah, our bodies our bodies change at that age naturally.
2: Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's funny. yes. And even after that, like I know yeah. very few people who are the same size as they were in high school or college.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, that just doesn't you know? seem even that's not healthy. Cause it's no. like you're growing, exactly. your body's changing. <laughs> you developing yes. more fat stores if you're going to be a mama and if you're a woman and you know mm-hmm. you need to have the extra padding and the, you know mm-hmm.
2: yeah. and it's got
0: nothing nothing to do with beer
2: <laughs> right yeah <laughs> right? you're so funny That's yeah nothing no beer. nothing to do with that, <laughs> <laughs> with that at all <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think yeah. you kind of, just listening, I, it almost sounds like you answered one of our first questions, which was what makes the transition out of competitive sport difficult for athletes from a nutrition perspective? Actually, I don't <laughs> think we did answer that. Sort of.
2: Well, I can give you a more concise answer.
1: Sure. No, that's fine. It's just, uh, yeah, that's.
2: Yeah. So from a nutrition perspective, there are a couple of things. One is, well, this is what we've kind of already touched on. The food is fuel mentality, right? So thinking, having a more relaxed and inclusive and what I would consider a values-based approach towards food. So yeah, what can food do for my body and what value can it add to my life? Like, how can I include it in the positive aspects of my life, right? Like, mm-hmm. sure, uh, like, low-fat chocolate milk is what I had post-workout recovery to recover. But what if it's the weekend and my friends want to go out for, like, I, like an, an ice cream date, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the nutrition component is going to be a bit different, but at the same time, why would I, like, how is it going to impact my quality of life if I don't allow myself to go and enjoy ice cream with friends now that I don't have to worry about, like, practice or gut distress or body composition or blah, blah, blah. So the functionality of foods, I think, can make it difficult because a lot of athletes develop, it's kind of, it's really orthorexic tendencies, yes, <laughs> like yes. the, the, the unhealthy obsession with health and you know, a lot of athletes, again, there's a reason behind it, but tend to go for like the most optimal nutrition choices, or like the best bang for your buck, quote, unquote, like the most nutrients for the least amount of calories,
0: right? Right. And that
2: just doesn't always fit with real life things. So getting out of that mindset is challenging. The other thing that kind of piggybacks off of that is food from a weight loss performance goal body comp perspective because the line has really been blurred not just in sport but also in in everyday life between functionality versus body composition and leaner is not always better like eating to optimize quote unquote how are we even defining that but to optimize body composition does not always mean that you're also eating to optimize your performance And usually that does not align with optimizing your quality of life either, because optimizing performance and and or body comp usually involves a pretty rigid eating style based on macros, calories. There's not a whole lot of education to raise the interoceptive awareness, which is how your body is feeling. So it can make it difficult to kind of venture out and expand food choices or embrace a different approach to food because there's a lot of fear around body changing which again makes sense because so much emphasis is put on what athletes look like right or what even athletes are supposed to look like totally yeah
1: absolutely yeah on your website it also says and this is you're hitting the nail on the head ready to make life after sport suck less and mean more (laughs) that's great that's awesome love it (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah because uh, and it can go either way you know like some people have more difficulty with like eating enough after they retire from sport just because naturally they're you know they're just not experiencing that many hunger cues I find that most people experience kind of like a restrict binge cycle or under eat overeat because they eat like they're quote-unquote supposed to or like they think they should and then you know the years of under fueling and maybe overeating in the past that they may have not been super stressed about because they were exercising at the time, but now they're retired from sport. They're not working out two or three hours a day then it feels like it's catching up with them and then they start freaking out because it's like, well, I'm not exercising to burn it off and I feel out of control around food and I don't know why, but I think it's my discipline. I'm not exercising enough. I need to go back to counting calories. And it's like, well, pump the brakes. Let's just <laughs> take a minute to breathe <laughs> and just reassess like what's actually happening here. So yeah, there are a couple From a nutrition perspective, I would say those are the the top two, like the perfectionistic mindset around food and the fear of weight gain make it really difficult to transition and kind of heal one's relationship with food when they transition out of sport.
1: And that's kind of like their primary struggle, like uh, in terms of Mm -hmm. like helping, like that's what you're helping them with to bridge that gap of Mm -hmm. their struggle and to get where they want to be, where they have a more peaceful kind of holistic approach with their body and food and social and using Mm -hmm. fuel food as more than just fuel but as pleasure
2: yeah right Mm -hmm. like it's it's a tool and a vehicle to help improve your quality of life instead of this thing that your life needs to revolve around and thus feel like shit about
0: totally (laughs) yeah wow
1: It's so tricky. I mean, I think there is this, uh, there's a perfectionism that happens. I know it happens in many professions, but I think with athletes, definitely, I mean, because they have to be so good at their sport, plus they have to fuel their body and then it just kind of takes over. And if you're Mm -hmm. doing that for years, then it's really, it would be so difficult to shift that mindset to look at food as more than just your fuel and more than just, your calories and protein and nutrients that you need. You know, it's it's so important that food is just it's social and it's comfort mm-hmm. and it's like so much more than fuel.
2: Right. Yes.
0: I think part of the problem too is sports starts at like you were saying at such a young age and so we're learning these values and concepts about food from, you know, childhood. And if you're a serious athlete growing up with these you know, ideas about how you should be eating and what you shouldn't eat, then it, it becomes instilled in you as you grow into adulthood. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like, it doesn't surprise me that there's so many, you know, eating disorders with athletes and, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's, it's kind of concerning, right? That's uh... yes. not to even
1: <laughs> say about diet culture, right? Like, that's a right. big part of Just the whole, you know, just our society in general. So it affects everybody. But when you're an athlete, it's even more, you know, fine-tuned. Yeah. yeah,
2: It's kind of like having a magnifying glass on everything. Because, I mean, even when we talk about body image, right? Athletes are exposed to all the same body image pressures that non-athletes are exposed to. But then they also have the added layers of messaging from their sport, right? So depending on what sport they're in, there's a quote-unquote ideal body type for that sport. Then they're hearing messages from their teammates, and then they're also getting messages from their coaches and strength trainers and athletic trainers and whoever else it is that's involved on the sports medicine team. So it's multifaceted, and then it can get even (laughs) even more confusing and frustrating for athletes because there's this term called or this phenomenon known as body duality. And that is when the social expectation and pressure is at odds with the sport expectation and pressure. So like I was just talking about this with one of my clients the other day, they used to swim competitively and they said, you know, when I was in college, like I would I was always really proud of how tall I was and how broad my shoulders were and I felt really strong. But then when I would like go out with my friends who were non-athletes, I would feel really self-conscious because they were so tiny. and now like my broad, strong shoulders are not viewed as feminine, they're viewed as manly. but I also need these shoulders to be good at my sport and to swim so that throws another wrench in things or like I remember when I was 14 or 15 I was at a national meet and one of my friends who was a sprinter she had just made the finals for the 100 meter dash at the national level you know and but instead of thinking about how awesome is this she came back to the tent and was really upset because she was one of the most muscly girls on the line. And so she didn't feel feminine. Meanwhile, I was like, you could beat up literally anyone here. (laughs) Why are you mad about that? But it's the body duality, right? So, and like some sport ideals align with society's ideals, but a lot of them don't because you need to be strong, you know? And even then it can still not be helpful to even focus on, like the strongest new is the new skinny trend because that's still putting the primary emphasis on what our bodies look like and 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 not necessarily what they can do so it's something i talk about a lot with athletes and everybody has their own experiences and their own stories so it's really, it's difficult to, to generalize, but there are definitely some common themes that pop up with pretty much every, every athlete and retired athlete that I've worked with.
1: Wow. And, and so how do you incorporate other athlete-specific considerations into your work with retired athletes?
2: Yeah. So there are really four main things that I hit on. Food and nutrition is one of them, or like healing relationship with food, movement, is another body image and body empowerment and identity so like you guys were saying when athletes start young especially and it's ingrained like this mentality is ingrained in you it also becomes a part of your identity because while you spend so much time in that area. And you also are usually getting a lot of comments or conversations revolving around your sport and athletes become known for being an athlete and what they do. You know, like I remember in high school, pretty much the only time, well, that's not even true. I was going to say the only time I didn't really talk about running was when I was at school because I wasn't on my school high school team my high school didn't have a team uh my high school was very academic <laughs> the oh. <joke> was. <laughs> our best team was our math team which i was also on oh so that's perfect yeah. <laughs> yeah i ran club but um but even when i was in school and i had a meet coming up uh or like if someone read about it in the paper then they would talk about it and it's like yeah okay we get it I know I run okay but I really want to talk about like this tv show or something so and then when <laughs> when I got to college it's like even worse <laughs> because you're just in that environment all the time like because right,
1: you have a scholarship and then that is your focus like it's like okay we've I've earned yeah. money. Like I I've been gifted money for this. I better do it well to not to right. let people down and oh my yes. gosh. identity. Yes. Yeah. That's so true.
2: Yeah. And so like, you're usually wearing your gear everywhere and then everybody <laughs> knows what team you're on and then you're going straight to practice and then you usually live with your teammates and then you're going to the dining hall where there are other athletes. <laughs> and you know, it's like, when you go to college, they say you you have school, sleep, and social. You can pick two. Athletes, you have school, sleep, social, and sport. You can still only pick two. Oh, <laughs> wow.
1: Man. Oh, no. interesting.
2: Yeah. I Holy mean, it's man. that's not completely true. Like, obviously, athletes do have social lives. It's just – very oh my goodness sorry my cat is destroying a paper bag <laughs> um
1: <laughs> so it's just
2: very difficult to manage and balance all of it while also staying sane yeah right. there's so much focus
0: right. on the sport and doing well and and that should be expected to be your main priority i presume right
2: mhm mhm yes and i even remember like you know we're called student athletes and so when i was a freshman well really every year there's a big compliance meeting that you have to go to And it's like, you're a student first and an athlete second. And then immediately the next day, walking into coach's office. So I know they told you you're a student first and an athlete second, but you're on scholarship. So we're really expecting you to be an athlete first. (laughs) No doubt. Great. Oh, my God. The mixed messages, eh? Yeah. So in one way, it's like a nice boost to the ego because it's like, yeah, I'm an athlete. This is serious. But then it's also (laughs) like, oh, my God, this is a lot of pressure, you guys. I have to be a student
1: first and an athlete first. I have to like basically... Be perfect for everybody—the teachers, the right. coaches, the trainers, yeah. my parents, my friends, my my everyone who's talking to me about my sport. I just want to be a human. I just want to talk about the show I watched last
2: night. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Like what is being a human being? Yeah. Fit in there. So <laughs> there's um there's a lot of work we do on identity and relationship with movement and I say movement instead of exercise because a lot of people equate exercise with like working out and pumping iron and sweating and it's like well you know you can move just just to have fun you can move just for shits and giggles like you want to climb that tree over there go do it nobody really cares anymore <laughs> nobody cares so yeah it, it's all related and the identity piece is really at the root of everything else which is why I talk about it first in the Retired Athlete Workshop which I am still in the process of tweaking but should be available the revamped version very soon because when you equate like oh I'm (laughs) I have to eat good so that I can perform well and then I'm going to be a good athlete so that I can be a good person like that is the train of thought and so Mm -hmm. if any of that feels threatened or gets interrupted the immediate response is, I'm not a good person, I'm not worthy, is really at the root of it, even for though sure. it's, yeah, yeah. like, people may not make that connection right out the gate.
1: Wow, yeah, that's, uh, your identity is so wrapped up in everything you do and how you think, how you think, mm-hmm. your your thoughts, your thought patterns, your daily behavior based on your thoughts. You know, mm-hmm. if you're thinking, oh, you know, this is what I have for breakfast when I'm on a run. And then Mm -hmm. like just shifting everything, it's like, well, I'm not running anymore or I'm not, you know, like, so what do I eat now? Like what, you know, that gets right to the practical, like, what am I buying for food? What am I Mm -hmm. fueling my body? Can I have that ice cream with my friends? Can I have a beer? You know, and right. all the like thoughts of like, oh, tomorrow I got to wake up and run. Oh, no, I don't. And it's just yes. such a, like you said, it's like there's so many things going on for athletes that are no longer in their sport and transitioning to kind of normal living and not being an athlete yeah. as their identity.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a it's a huge mindfuck for lack of a better word, I guess. Right. And you know if it all just kind of boils down to like who am i outside of my sport because i have been a swimmer a runner a football player a tennis player a dancer a wrestler for however long who am i outside of that yeah and that can be very (laughs) uncomfortable for a lot of people especially if that's been the main sense of self-worth and value for themselves you know then it's a question of okay if sport is no longer my main top priority what is and it's it's kind of weird you know because a lot of athletes who retire like don't really even know what they like to do anymore because they either didn't have the time or the spoons to do it so then it's um it can take a while to adjust to then quote unquote, like, new life, because it really does feel like a, a completely new life. Like, yeah, you'll, you know, your whole schedule has changed the people you surround you with, you surround yourself with has usually changed, your priorities change, your values change, and that's okay, you're allowed to change and grow as you move through life. Yeah. yeah
1: and yeah. it and it's time like it's a good time to shift your to find your purpose like what do you like to do? what does the world need? what can mm-hmm. you get paid for what what do you love? like all those kind of things like find your mission or your you know your passion and try to shift your the whole it's just so hard though, if you've been identifying as an athlete since you were young, you know like right. that's who you are. it's so mm-hmm. wow, that's uh. So interesting, this whole conversation, eh, Rob?
0: It really is, yeah. You know, I used to play in a band. I was a musician, you know, and that's how I identified myself when I was, you know, in my 20s. And then I kind of gave it up and and I was lost for a little while because it's like, who am I? I mean, that's that's how mm-hmm. I identified myself. But the difference with my position is is, is it wasn't tied to food. You know, mm-hmm. food wasn't part of that picture. I wasn't dependent on food to for for what I was pursuing, you know, and- So, you know, I, I transitioned into a different thing and, and life is good. And, and, uh, but yeah, as an athlete, making that transition and you're so used to having food be a main component of that, you're, you're lost. You're like, well, I have to keep eating like this, but I'm not sure why, because I'm not like my life isn't based on performance anymore, but maybe it should be. Yeah. It's so confusing.
2: Yeah. So what what yes. age
0: are you finding a lot of your clients? Is it like after college where people kind of make that transition? Or are you dealing with
2: <laughs> all ages? Or? So So most retired athletes I see uh between 25 and 30 yeah. most of them I would say Makes and sense. I think yeah and I think that's because by the time they get to me they're really just fed up and exhausted and have tried so many things that haven't worked or been sustainable
0: right and and, and, and probably um, <laughs> because they've had like this these total mixed messages of what they should be doing yeah. right and they yeah right. their, their sense of the world is so skewed
2: mm-hmm Yes. Or they still have expectations and pressures that they're putting on themselves that aren't really relevant anymore. Right. You know? And so like it gets, it gets real old, real quick. Um, At least when you're in sport, you can justify it by saying like, okay, as soon as this competition is done, as soon as this season is done, I can have a couple weeks at least to like relax and recalibrate. But when you don't have that and you're just living life and it feels like, a never-ending hamster wheel if you're still having those same pressures then it's it's just not fun <laughs> and yeah you're like i i can't yeah. keep living like this but also <laughs> why is no diet is working and going to the gym more isn't helping i still feel like poop about like myself and my body and i don't have any energy and what am i doing wrong um that's, I hear that a lot. (laughs) What am I doing wrong? Right. You know, it's amazing.
1: It's good that you took that year off to figure out like what you were actually, what makes you satisfied? Like, how do you feel fulfilled in life as a person, as a human being? And Mm -hmm. like, that's because you figured this out a long time ago. And I love that you said, be who you needed when you were younger. I just love that quote. That is so amazing. Oh,
2: Mm -hmm. that
1: that is such a like it's so full of wisdom
2: oh thank you it (laughs) really is though. (laughs) you know when I took my hair off in the woods I fully believed that like all the blame and the reason things had turned out the way they had was because of me and it was my fault and and everything and I was like well I guess I just wasn't a good athlete but then You know, I would see former teammates um, once I started working as a dietitian at the EMILY program out in Minnesota, which is an eating disorder facility. They're awesome. I learned so much with them. I would not be the dietitian I am today if I had not done my internship through them and worked with them for a year. Mm. But when, when I was in Minnesota, like we would get so many athletes or people who used to do sports walk through the door. And after a couple months of seeing this, I was like... Surely, this cannot just be us. Like, this definitely wasn't just my experience. It's so many other people's experience. There has to be more to this. And then I decided to go back to England for my master's in sports nutrition and got to work with Carolyn Plateau, who's at Loughborough, which is where I went. And (laughs) I was in the master's program for sports and exercise nutrition, but I spent a lot of time in the sports and mental health building. Right. Uh, yeah, because Carolyn Plateau does a lot, of, a lot of research in athletes and retired athletes and eating disorders and body image and also that transition, as does Trent Petrie, who's in Texas. And they've actually done a couple of studies together on retired athletes and body image and intuitive eating assessments and disordered eating assessments. So there's more research that has come out and I'm sure there's going to be even more, especially now it feels like since COVID, I mean, I think that awareness and education around mental health has skyrocketed Mm -hmm. and especially in sport you know with michael phelps gabby douglas a lot of higher profile athletes speaking out to mental health and athletes and just kind of normalizing it which is good because i think a lot of people have this idea that athletes are less prone to mental health issues when in reality it's the complete opposite
0: Yeah, yeah yeah i can see that
2: for all the reasons that we've talked about, like, it's really a no brainer.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. But, uh, the old school dogma says otherwise, but they're wrong. So <laughs> crazy. What were you going to say, Rob?
0: I said that, well, they, 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 the outward appearance. I mean, you see athletes, they look so successful because they're, they're mm-hmm. doing it right. But yeah, inside right. they're probably, yeah, a mess a lot of times because of the road they took to get there. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. successful, but yeah, there's uh, there's the other side of the coin too, right? Hmm.
2: Yeah. Question question know.
0: for you, Lizzie. Um, yeah. having been through all of this, what do you think could change? Like for athletes who are currently in sport and are having to go through this kind of regimented routine, is there things that you see that they could change to make you know st- still get the performance requirements they need, but not the 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 negative aspects of it?
2: Yes, a thousand percent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My coach's wife in college said one time, a happy athlete is a good athlete. And that has stuck with me. Because that's so true, and if you think about it, so many athletes who end up competing at a high level, you know, they they don't get into the sport with the idea that you know their sport is going to become their job or uh, they're going to develop all these tendencies because of their sport. They get into it because they love it, and when the love for the sport starts to turn into an obligation or a demand on their quality of life. That's really, I mean, part of it, it's on the athlete to, to be aware of when that's happening. Right. But it's also on whoever is supporting the athlete, whether it's the parents, the coaches, the sports medicine team, whether they're in high school, college, semi-pro or pro, to support them through that. Instead of minimizing, invalidating, and telling them, like, well, you're just not serious enough. <laughs> you're experiencing the Suck
0: it up, right?
2: Right, yeah. yeah. I also think less pressure needs to be put on body composition, especially at the high school and collegiate levels. For Bodies sure. are still developing. For brains sure. are still developing. There's a lot of shit happening mm-hmm. in their personal lives as well as in their sports and social life and everything. The body composition is like the bottom of the totem pole for athletes at that age, in my opinion. And food neutrality. Like there's there's a big belief that athletes are not able to practice intuitive eating. And I <laughs> I don't like writing it off. Um, I'm sure there are there are plenty of athletes who wouldn't be comfortable practicing that completely but I definitely think we can tailor a lot if not all of the intuitive eating principles to athletes and that when I say that I don't mean uh, this, this could be like a whole nother episode honestly <laughs> I, I'm not gonna get into the specifics but I fully believe that athletes can practice several aspects of intuitive eating at least intermittently and and learn how to listen to their bodies as well as implement nutrition education to perform their best and that's really like the gentle nutrition aspect of intuitive eating which is the 10th pillar but we're not going to get into that right now but even just like letting athletes know you know like nutrition is one piece of the puzzle just like body composition there are, there are about 40 aspects that relate to performance and your weight is just one of them, just one of the 40. So if you feel good with that and you're staying on top of that, let's focus on the other 39.
1: That's, yes. Yeah, that totally makes sense. That's, oh, wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like a lot of a lot of high school athletes I work with, I tell them, you know, simple nutrition is effective nutrition. What are you doing outside of your sport to take care of yourself? And when you think of um, this is a question I love asking athletes of pretty much every level, you know, would you consider your sport more physical or more mental? Nine times out of 10, athletes are going to say more mental, for sure. Like it's a mental battle. For sure. And then you ask them, okay, how much time do you put into your physical performance? And how much time are you putting into your mental health and your mental performance? <laughs> and uh, again, I, pre- like 100% I would 100%
1: into physical, right? Right.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I spend like two to three hours a day at least- Physically training my body, but what am I actually doing for my mind and making sure that I am recognizing myself as more than a body and that there is more to my life than just sport? And I'm putting my eggs in other baskets so that if I feel like my performance isn't up to par with sport, I don't go down a depression spiral and kick myself you know over and over i go and i lean on other things in my life that give me a sense of value and purpose as well
0: it's a really good point yeah. just just the comparison of the mental versus the physical that's uh a lot of people probably don't think of that you know that's that's a really good point yeah. point.
1: and yeah. having life life after sport right just like mm-hmm. what you know how the identity, to have how to like have everything. life after sport
0: yeah <laughs> exactly yeah
1: how to yeah. oh my gosh oh wow this was so amazing what a comprehensive interview I had no idea actually I hadn't I you know I hadn't thought about this too in depth and I'm so glad you brought this out because this is really Rob and I are going to talk a lot about this I can tell over the next yeah. few days <laughs> yeah, it, it, really. It really. oh my gosh yeah this yeah, is I really do. Uh, it's so enlightening it's mm-hmm. so enlightening it's uh wow
2: I love it <sighs>
1: We have a standard question that we ask all of our guests. Um, when going to a potluck, what favorite dish would you bring to contribute?
2: Mm, mac and cheese. Love it. Love, Love
0: it. Love it. <laughs> yes, classic. Yes, I'm not a huge fan of craft dinner, which is mac and Mm -hmm. cheese, right? But Mm -hmm. homemade mac and cheese, there's like no comparison, and I think it's one of those things like a chili where everyone does it a little bit different and puts their own Mm flair on it, and I Mm -hmm. love them all. So, yeah.
2: Yes, you are invited. (laughs) 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 Thank you, guys. The next time I'm in Canada, I'll have to let you know. Bring your your mac and cheese, the, the silver sheet pan, and you finish it off in the oven. Yeah, that's oh. the
0: good mac and Any, any uh, magic spices in there? Um, or is it just straight up mac and cheese?
2: It's, you know, I'm going to be honest. My recipe changes every time. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's how we cook.
1: That's perfect. Whatever you got yeah. in the fridge and what cheese is in there today.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Sometimes there's a little bit of nutmeg. Sometimes there's a little bit of garlic powder. Sometimes Fun. there's just like different types of cheeses. Oh, nice. I you don't know. Oh, love it.
1: Love it. That's awesome. That's a great way to cook. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So when people like where would people find you?
0: Oh yeah,
2: good question. So if uh if people really like shenanigans and (laughs) um and some spicy posts and opinions and they really want to see my personality (laughs) flare, they can find me on Instagram at the recovered athlete. And right now, my website is transitionnutritionnc.com. dot com. Soon, I'm I'm hoping that that will be changed, and uh, the the URL will will still be the same. But the website is is due for a makeover. Nice. Perfect.
1: Yeah, I like yeah. that. Nutri- transition transition nutrition makes a lot of sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs>
1: And you are ha- you do have spicy posts. That's I can vouch for that. That's uh, awesome.
2: Thank you. It goes
1: with your personality though. You got a spicy right. personality.
2: Yes. People seem to either love it or hate it, but I'm here either way. So There you go.
0: What
1: part of England are you from originally?
2: Swindon, which is it's about 2 hours west of London, but now my family lives in closer to Sheffield which is a way more fun city. Swindon's nothing to write home about.
1: Interesting. Okay. We have a a friend um, that we're seeing pretty regularly. She's from Liverpool originally.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: A little bit different accent, but uh, similar but different. Yeah.
0: She's a little yeah, bit wacky it, too. She's, yes. she's a lot of fun to talk to. Very excited sure. and, and yes. spicy as you say. Yeah.
1: And mm-hmm. an athlete,
0: a full on,
1: like, com, you know, not competitive, but athlete in all her, her life. But anyways, nice. <laughs> oh, this has been so awesome, Lizzie. Thank you so much for joining us today and offering yeah, all of you. this great information and once you get your course up and running you know I would love to interview you again too in the future I hope you'd be open to that
2: of course yeah that would be fun and exciting thank you guys (sighs) for having me
1: oh it's fun you've been so fun to talk with and just oh your accent just helps the whole thing too it's so awesome
2: I have been told that yeah
0: (laughs) always yeah accents are great Good. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll uh, direct people to your your uh, online places, your website, and Instagram. Are you on Facebook at all, or mostly Instagram? Or
2: uh, there will be a Facebook page for uh, for people who are in the the retired athlete workshop group program. I think there is a Facebook page that is mine that's called Transition Nutrition, but I'm not doing anything with it. I got to be honest with you guys. I have a love-hate relationship with social media that's really more hate than We we all do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So I try to really stay off of the socials as much as possible, um, other than like... Posting stuff as and when I think of it. So yeah, yeah. no, that's but, fine.
1: We'll, we'll <laughs> in the show notes we'll link to your website, and then people can find you that way. Um, and then your Instagram handle that you mentioned. So, yeah, no, that's that's fine. I mean, you are in the um, trenches helping your your yeah. clients, right? Like this is this is hard work. It's like mm-hmm. a lot of uh, counseling, I would think, like a lot of mental mm-hmm. health work and uh, Mm -hmm. just shifting perspective and like mindset. So yeah, I I appreciate you don't have a ton of time to be posting on social media.
0: Exactly. (laughs) It was time for that.
2: Even if I did, that is not what I would be spending my time doing.
1: No, no. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. Well, thank you so much today. And uh, we'll put all the information in the show notes for the listeners. And I bet people are going to get so much value from this today. And we thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thanks very
0: much, Lizzie. We'll talk again soon.
2: I look forward
1: to it.
0: Awesome. (laughs) Take care.
1: Wow. Lizzie is fiery, eh?
0: She is so fun. Oh my God. That it was, was a
1: lively conversation.
0: That was so much fun. And yeah, there was so much to it.
1: Yeah, it was really cool how she uncovered the layers of the mindset, identity as an athlete, diet and nutrition, and what they have to... Change.
0: Injure kinda. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just I I had no idea there was so much involved. Like you just see it on the surface and you think, oh, there's an athlete, they're successful, they're doing well, they're winning, whatever, they're they're competing. They're, they're on the
1: top of the world.
0: You know, or even if they're not winning, they're still like they're doing it, right? Mm-hmm. They're out there, they're doing it. And life is good, but you peel back those layers and you're like, Whoa, I it never even crossed my mind some of those issues that would be so prevalent with so many athletes
1: yeah yeah and obviously i mean she said that she didn't when she first started counseling retired athletes it was mind-blowing how many people were having issues and just the amount of athletes that needed help
0: and you know i bet there's there's retired athletes or like college athletes who are now like in their regular working life or whatever Who have those issues and don't even realize it until someone points it out and then they're like, oh, really? That's not normal. You know, it's not normal to think of food this way and to, and to live with these kind of mindsets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's weird. Holy. Yeah. Yeah. Such good information. And, and, um, yeah. I hope hope that this is going to spread far and wide because I think it's really valuable.
1: Yeah, she just brought it out in the forefront, like just spotlighted these issues.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we encourage you to check out her her website. I'm guessing there's going to be a ton of information on there. Sounds like she's making up some, or uh, transitioning rather, to some new information on her website. So check that out. Her Instagram page is a ton of fun too. She's so fun. She's so funny and quirky and just, uh, yeah, I just love her Fiery, energy. Fiery, I'd say. Total, yeah. Well, and spicy. I mean, yeah. we use that word tons, but it's it's the perfect word um, mm-hmm. to describe her and, and the conversation we had. So definitely give her a visit.
1: And you can also check out episode 72, Intuitive Eating with Sandra Tease, dietitian, and also Diet Culture, episode 60 with Lisa Duncan. Those ones are really pretty relevant with this conversation we had with lizzie today
0: yeah pretty powerful episodes there with a lot of information on on those topics so uh yeah check those out and what do we have coming up on next week this week well we have nutrition nuggets on wednesday so be sure to tune in for that and then uh we'll have another full episode next monday And you can check out our website as well, uh, our Facebook page, our Instagram page, our YouTube page. Our website address is mywifethedietitian.com. Lizzie, I believe, is writing a blog article for us as well that should be up there in the next little while. So check that out. If you have any questions or comments or just want to say hi or share whatever your summer vacation plans with us, whatever whatever's on your mind you want to reach out, uh give us a give us a holler my wife the RD, at gmail.com. and don't forget to rate and review the show that always helps us helps you guys it helps us keep going helps other people find us and uh yeah spread the love around we appreciate it
1: and happy anniversary honey what <laughs> 24 years today
0: is it really yeah oh my gosh
1: <laughs> you always forget i we, i do too i didn't
0: i reminded you i'm uh, just pretending yeah, <laughs> yes! Happy time. anniversary! <laughs> fun times, sharing sharing it all with you guys. Now it's uh, it's it's been a lot of fun doing this podcast, and we're we're excited to keep going with it. So I hope everyone's enjoying it.
1: Yeah, keeps our fire stoked.
0: Fiery baby! <laughs> all right, well, we are off. We will be back Wednesday, and uh, until then, have a great week, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on My Wife the Dietitian. If you like what you heard, don't be shy. Leave us a comment or review and be sure to share our podcast with your friends. If you'd like to hear more, hit that subscribe button. You can also follow us on our social media pages for updates, episode trailers, and other odds and ends. For more info and links on what we discussed on today's episode, check the show notes. We'll be back next week with another informative and fun-filled episode.